My name is Sam and this is PhDs for Dummies. Welcome back on the show. Uh, today's guest is Maritina uh, Michalikova, who did a PhD in theoretical biology and computational neuroscience uh, at the universe at the Humboldt University in uh, Berlin. Um, after her PhD, she started her own freelance writing school, and therefore she has a ton of experience um, in, in the scientific world. Um, we'll be talking about her uh, her pragmatic world vision, her uh, her idea about um, the shift from journals to open science publications, and um, in general, it's, uh, it's it's a very interesting uh, uh, guest. And I'm sure that you guys will also uh, enjoy listening to her. Hi, Martina. Um, I'm very excited to have you on the show. Could you briefly say a few words about yourself and what you've done so far in your career? Hi, Sam. Thank you for the invitation. Sure. So, um, and, well, I have a PhD in neuroscience. Um, um, that's, I guess, why I'm here <laughs> to talk about the PhD experience, right? Um, yeah. And um, I finished it in, in at the end of the year of 2016. And since then, I am working as a freelance trainer for uh, scientific writing. Okay, and where did you pursue your PhD? In in Berlin at the Humboldt University in Germany. Okay, uh, and you mentioned um, that you did your PhD in neuroscience, right? Um, that's for me at least. It's quite a specific topic. Um, is there any chance you can explain your topic in a bit more in a more approachable way? Oh yeah, sure. So actually, um, I did my PhD in, at the Institute of Theoretical Biology. So uh, neuroscience is a field that's very, very interdisciplinary field. So there are physicists, mathematicians, biologists, psychologists, and who else? Actually, computer scientists as well working on neuroscience. Basically, that's the science of understanding how the brain works. So I was coming, uh, my background is biology. So I was coming from, from that perspective. Um, and what I was doing, so there are all kinds of level at which we try to understand how the brain works. And I was working at the quite the cellular level. So it's quite kind of a biological low level. And um, more concretely, my topic was to understand how the neurons communicate with the electrical signals to be, yeah, still quite broad. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, that sounds like really finding a, a needle in a haystack, right? Like, how do you stay motivated if you're searching for such uh, specific things in your research? Mm. So maybe what you also mean is that it's kind of so, f so I kind of abstract and so far from our uh, human reality, right? Yeah, it's like a bit, it's far from, from society mm -hmm. also, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, true. So what I actually, so originally I wanted to go more towards human cognition and, and look at that. And uh, But I was <laughs> clever enough to first uh, go to see some talks. There is a, a it's called Berlin uh, School of Mind and Brain that sounded exactly like what I want to do. But when I was then at their talks, I was feeling like, okay, this is interesting questions, but the methods they are using, they are really not going deep enough for me, you know, like what I am imagining so and I was also at the beginning kind of afraid that this will be um, a bit boring uh, topic maybe but then the thing is once you go deeper into something and it seems even like to me now it doesn't matter what is the topic you will find it interesting 
You know, like the, the more you know about something, the more you find it intriguing because the more you see the nuances and the, the more you understand all the connections with anything. So, yeah, so it's more that you're, you're saying like the more you dig deeper into a subject matter, like the more you get excited by it and you get like more, yeah. more motivation by it actually to exactly. unravel, unravel the, uh, the unknown things in the kind exactly so at the beginning basically my phd project started like a small small project uh, like a for a one module in the for the well in for my master studies um and it turned out to be much a bigger question and not so easy not something that i can just resolve in a couple of weeks and at the beginning i was not really excited about that like not at all it was like okay so we don't know how this happens but so what you know there are so many things we don't know and the more yeah. I dig deeper, then the more I was really captivated by that. And so it I, kind of it kind of became your baby in a sense, like yeah. you wanted to. <laughs> yeah, and I and I was talking to all kinds of like different people who had different projects, and they all said actually the same that uh, once you really get involved with the project, you start to be motivated to like it, to be really deeply interested into that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you also think that's like the magic of doing a PhD that you have like the time? I mean, normally it's like four years, right? And you've you actually mm-hmm. have the time to to dig into a, into a subject so so deep that you can truly understand it. Yeah, that's definitely one of the things. So there is more. For me, there was also the thing to be kind of autonomous, you know, to do research, to really kind of go after some mystery or resolve some open question, but have these freedoms that you, well, if you choose your supervisor accordingly, then you can have have a lot of freedoms as a PhD student, yes. Yeah, I was about to say, like, do you have so much freedom even with your your supervisor? Because... uh, I mean, the things that I've read about supervisors is that often they restrict uh, students or even demotivate them. Oh, no. I mean, well, I mean, sure, there are such supervisors and there are supervisors from whom you will never hear anything, you know, like there is everything on the spectrum from micromanaging and controlling and wants to know about every little thing, you know, and wants to be involved in every little decision you make, um, see you every day, talk to you every day up to the point where you where the supervisor has no clue on what you are working. Basically, I have seen everything. Yeah. And how was that for you? Did you have like, do you have one supervisor doing your whole project or you have multiple? So I had uh, my main supervisor. Yeah. So the, uh, yeah. Um, the head of the group, basically. But there was also a, a postdoc, a more experienced uh, researcher who was um, kind of kind of a co- more like a co-worker, so co-author on, on my projects, whom I needed for some expertise that I did not have. So I would not say that he was really a supervisor, but yeah, I did learn from him a lot. So you're also learning from, from different team members and different... Yeah, anyway. Uh, uh, f- from different mm-hmm. disciplines, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and uh, when you finished your master's, was sure you just wanted to do research or why did you decide to do a PhD? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. I mean, you could also have gone into like the commercial world. Yeah. So for me, it was um, okay. I was interested in research, but I knew that I don't want to do this my whole life. I knew like it would be cool to do it for a couple of years because the thing with me is I have so many different uh, interests and uh things I would like to try out in my life. And I was, and I also saw some of the, 
professors the way of life they have the the how their work look like so there is so much bureaucracy i would never ever wanted to uh, you know because basically when you are a professor um in in, in i mean in, in in stem in natural sciences at least mostly yeah. that's uh, the that takes most of your time and i was sure okay this is not for me because i have so many other interests and hobbies and yeah um, but I definitely wanted to do it for a while. So PhD was like, okay, so I do the PhD and after that I will see what I do. Yeah. So it was more for you to just, it was like for you, it was just to take off a box of your, the things you wanted to do in a sense. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it was somehow also the, so I always uh, in my life go um, like with the waves, you know, like the, I like the yeah. surf surfing analogy. So we are basically first you need to pedal to be between the waves. Yeah, that is like at the beginning of your yeah. life. You need it's kind of hard work. But once you are somewhere between the waves, you can look around and see what is the next wave that is comfortable to jump on. And you go with the wave where it takes you have fun. And then when the wave is slowly decaying, going you search to for end. another one. Yeah. Exactly. So this is how I'm surfing my life. And that's uh <laughs> that works so quite well <laughs> so it's kind of seizing seizing the the projects kind of so you do yeah. one project and then hop to the other yeah that sounds really cool yeah i nef definitely would never i mean i don't uh, i mean i understand but i would not do something that is often recommended that yeah think think really really uh, carefully what is your dream and then just go after your dream no matter what I would never do this because you can imagine some kind of dream and then you and then you re realize oh the, but there is actually the way there is like full of walls and I need to run with my head against this wall why why would I do that you know yeah. when I just turn around to the side and I see a nice path why would I not go there you know so it's a rather like pragmatic vision, uh, I would yeah, say yeah I mean it's also it's also I mean my life is much nicer like this you know I don't have um, yeah, you know, I mean, I know what I like, but since it is so much, then to choose what exactly I do, I see what are the opportunities. And the PhD thing that I was basically, so I was doing my master's thesis uh, already with my PhD supervisor. And at the end of the master's thesis, he just asked me whether I would like to continue on the same project in his group. And since I knew him, we worked together well. I knew the group. I liked the group. So it was very easy to just say yes, you know? Yeah no application processes no you know all the stuff oh, that sounds that, really uh, that yeah. sounds really good <laughs> yeah it was it was comfortable I, well, I knew what i was going into if i would not like the group i would not go there you know it was not that i, I am lazy but it was just nice to be there so why not to do it for a couple of years more you know but it was not like your dream or something so it was kind of more coincidence that your yeah, no. supervisor asked you to, to just exactly. roll into it yeah, yeah. Okay. my dream as i said would be more to go more to the cognitive uh level so if i if would not be so cool with him i would probably look a bit further and ended up with something else but yeah yeah i see but then um, for me, uh, because you mentioned you, you're now uh, at the moment a freelance uh, writing mm -hmm. coach, right? Mm -hmm. uh, for me, like the step from doing neuroscience, a PhD in neuroscience to becoming a freelance writing coach is like kind of a big one. Like, can you maybe explain how that came uh, mm -hmm. to be? Actually, it's not a big because I am um, not a big step, I think, because uh, I am a, a writing trainer for scientists. That may be my Okay, okay, fair enough. Yeah. So uh, that's uh, somehow to be a writing trainer for scientists, you need to have a PhD because otherwise, you know, you don't know the kind of writing. How to write, yeah. Yeah, yeah you don't know. Uh, yeah, I mean, I have been to a workshop by someone who... 
uh, I think she had a PhD, but like something in history. And that was a big fail because uh, we were all there. Like it was a kind of a program for women in natural sciences. And it was just so off. She just could not help us. She could not understand. We could not <laughs> understand her. It was uh, it was just a fail. So you need to, you know, you need to have the background. You need to know the literature. You know, to need to, you need to know the work to be able to. Yeah. Yeah. Help I think yeah, there there are two there are two two worlds on their own, right? Like the social sciences and then the mm. the, the science, uh, the hard science, so to say. Mm. Um, yeah, the writing manners of writing are, are very different. I, I uh, yeah, I definitely. And and then the humanities again, some something else. Yeah, and even yeah. within natural sciences, even there you have communities who have their own convention. But at least the the culture that's what I call the culture of science. It's not just writing; it's the whole thing. How you yeah, you culture, think, yeah, how you think yeah. about stuff, what are the moral, what is what is yeah. okay to do and what is not to do, what are the conventions. Yeah, that's very different in this um, different um, uh, field. Hmm. So do the people that come to your, your writing school, so to say, are all scientists right, then? like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Okay. Now I'm, I'm sometimes I'm I'm having also mixed groups uh, where there would be also some social scientists or economists and that still works because it's still kind of it's still research based on data, you know, there is some empirical stuff and there is some results and there are methods and there are conclusions. So, uh, but something like philosophy or history or stuff like that, that would just not work at all. Yeah. I see. And what do you do in your writing center? You just like help them with writing their, their, their structures or you're actually like uh, supporting them with, I don't know, like writing their sentences? Uh... Well, I mean everything. So I'm I'm giving workshops. I have kind of like basic workshops when you learn to write. <laughs> so yeah. I'm focusing not only on the text so that the text is good, but also the on the process, you know, like how to go over your procrastination, how to be a productive writer, how to do it. <laughs> and then there is the stuff around the publishing. There is um, kind of conflict with co-authors. That's all that fits into that. So I'm doing all of that. Hmm. Yeah, I mean the the uh, like uh, the co-authorship and uh, publishing your articles. That's actually a pretty th- a big thing, no? Or is yeah. that also like in the scientific world? Like, how does that work? Yeah, publishing your articles. Yeah, well, that's uh, that's a big one. Yeah, I mean that's the important part at the end because it, it you know you first write it, but the important part is to publish it, and yeah, um, it's hard. And uh, the in in sciences um the stuff is changing uh the public publication processes are changing the system is changing a bit because the old system with journals and you know subscriptions and stuff is um slowly decaying i mean it needs to and now we have open science and it's getting stronger and stronger now we, we actually don't need journals yeah we we have it all on we can have it all online, online yeah. and um it's um actually that's one of my missions to help with this to help with this change that is inevitable. and how is how do you think that's the publishing an article online is different from publishing an article in let's say a journal is it like the selection process or oh there needs to be a select okay selection process will be different so yeah so basically there are two two main functions of journals nowadays and that's the uh, this one is the selection process and the other is the um, kind of checking the quality, you know, whether everything yeah. is correct. And these two can be separated. These two don't need to be coupled. 
and then basically uh, you can have a system where the uh, where the quality endurance happens um, publicly you know that you have like you have the archives you know the the servers where you can upload your paper and then you, the community can comment I mean man, one can um, there are models for that one can make it more formal but the idea is that the reviews about your article about your manuscript should be open and might okay, be signed yeah. um, and there might be an open there might be a public discussion on that. Um, and then the selection process could be very, very separated from that. And it could be like, um, so there is the neuroscientist, um, oh man, this is a terrible, um, very, uh, um, Romain Brett. Um, yeah. He is kind of, um, um, he's actually very cool. So for people who are into open science, they should check him out and his blog, he's, he has his own idea how this world should look like. And what he's suggesting for the, uh, for the selection process is that every scientist, every group, every institution could have their own journal that would be basically just a collection of papers, a recommendation. That they wrote, yeah. Yeah, not they, they wrote, like they also whoever wrote, you know. Um, ah, okay, so just they, for them to, to yes. select a kind of papers and... Based and on share. that, they have their own journal, yeah. Exactly, and then basically would be, um, it would work like social media, that you would follow those researchers that you respect, that are doing work that is relevant for you, and then you would see what are their recommendations. That sounds actually like a really cool uh, initiative. I mean, yeah. it makes way more sense, and it's also more uh, approachable for, for everyone, basically. Definitely. The problem is just, okay, one problem is that the, 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 the publishers now, they are earning so much money, they will not let this <laughs> yeah. go. They will yeah. not accept this, yeah. yeah. Of course not, so they are trying. And the, another problem is there, and that is that the um, researchers, the scientists are judged by uh, their publication venue, so where's basically by the journal where they publish. And yeah. until this changes, uh, nothing can change, you know? But this is also slowly changing because, and this this initiative, I was very happy to see that this initiative has has to come from the in institutions that give money to researchers that give grants. So, if the no, if the if the if the grant says that, okay, you get the money for your research and everything that you you create with this money, you don't publish in journals, but you upload to this server, you know, yeah, then stuff can change. So kind of it needs to start like top down. Uh, yeah. uh, needs to start top down. The the the, the money yeah. needs to decide uh, kind of. Uh, yeah, because how the bottom up them. is hard. Yeah, because if you are yeah. if you are judged by the journals where you publish, then you can't. Uh, right. You know, you it, you can't afford to publish just in some experimental way. You know, because then you will not get your tenure and and you can't your revenue. Yeah. Yeah. You you can't co continue with your career basically. Yeah. But that's actually, that's a very good initiative, I think. And uh, yeah. I mean, I and think it's, it's so, very it's interesting to know. Yeah, Actually, it's so funny <laughs> that I was reading some article about it some time ago that a physicist, they, they switched to archive very, yeah, they switched to this kind of uh, uh, open uh, science without journals. They switched to it uh, more or less uh, easily and very fast. Because yeah. if you do like everyone, if everyone is doing it, the whole field, then it works. But like um, uh, life sciences, uh, where I am from, yeah. um, that's uh, much harder. I, but I, I think it's 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 already existing in a sense for different disciplines, right? Yeah. Um, I mean, social sciences, you've got um, you've got big foras where, where things are discussed, and I think also social media is already kind of big um, with yeah. with, uh, with these things. But I think it's maybe because they're less abstract in a sense. Yeah, but uh, do you still have the journals? Sure, you have the journals. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. There are there are definitely journals, and, and there I mean, is probably personally, still... personally, I like journals. Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. The, but the I think, is... I think, yeah. But there's definitely way more stuff now online, and you can see that um, more and more people they they um, start to become independent from journals, and that's of course also very good because you get different voices in in your field. Mm. But the thing with journals, I mean, I have nothing against journals. It's more like that they are so expensive, you know, that you pay for the publication and then you pay it again to get the to get get to read the article. I think in social yeah. sciences there are uh, there are more uh, like free access journals or something, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, the databases are pretty big, so often you can just find whatever you want. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, like in life sciences, in, in, in natural sciences, there is a lot of this paywall stuff. And that's that's a yeah. problem. That's a real problem. Yeah. So, I mean, that, I mean, if people listen to this podcast, then uh, people that are um, giving the money for funds, then they know what they have to do, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. So the initiative is there. It takes time. But slowly, slowly, I see it changing. I see it changing every year, actually. Yeah. Better. I mean, that's, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's very good uh, in a sense. Mm. Um, maybe a question more specific on your PhD um, mm -hmm. adventure, because I've read a lot of people that um, uh, getting are getting uh, unmotivated uh, because of their PhD and they're, they're uh, kind of saying that their self-confidence is drains because of their PhD and they don't really know what they've started. Um, mm -hmm. Have you been in a situation where you felt kind of the same, that you felt like... Uh, very unmotivated about your yourself and your PhD in general? Of course, I mean, <laughs> uh, well, unmotivated about myself. So I always tried to, I mean, this happens in my experience that you, you know, I mean, so, okay, in general, PhD, doing PhD is hard. So I have been stuck many times. I felt like, okay, I can't find the way out of this. And what is the point of all of this and everything? Yes, I think I have been to places like this a couple of times during my PhD, but I mostly managed to not... Um, attach this to the my self-worth or to my self-confidence yeah. and i think um, people who have this problem these are people who don't don't keep their hobbies who don't keep their social life who basically just dive into the phd and this is the only big thing they are doing so and their phd of, kind of becomes their life in a exactly sense. and then of course when this sucks then then your whole life sucks yeah <laughs> and i mean i know this not only from phd students but also like for example like uh, uh startup founders or whatever you know if you are work or not even founders like someone who is putting a lot of energy in their job whatever is the job and when when there yeah. is some hard time in the job then you feel like a failure and that's a problem actually so i have a friend who started a, a startup and she was actually telling her new employees that uh, basically they should keep a hobby that they, she would also say like i myself i go like dancing and sometimes i will go at 6 p.m to my dance class because that's what i need you know and that they yeah, should do the yeah. same and for phd students it's the same it's it's no wonder if you yeah if you sacrifice everything for the phd then earlier or later you will you will yeah, like get a burnout or whatever yeah, yeah burnout a big crisis and uh yeah you will question your self-worth so but yeah, do you I, think like your supervisor is 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 like important in that sense because i think he or she can be like a guidance for you because i think a lot of people that start their phd there i mean it's all new for them they want to do their best they want to prove themselves you know and i i, I see how people can lose them themselves in in the process i mean with this i'm not sure whether supervisor can help i mean um 
that's more like you do with the, on your own. I mean, the supervisor can help in the sense that you have a supervisor who is not uh, asking you to work unreasonable times. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. if you have kind of an exploiting supervisor, then it is hard to to keep the boundaries. But uh, with really for this uh, for this issue that we just discussed, uh, it's not about the supervisor; it's about you and your yeah, own. Yeah, I think attitude. that's yeah. I think that's a that's a fair point to make, Ed. So it's more about the people themselves, um, rather than the supervisors, and it's just the mindset you're in. Yeah, uh, I, I think I suppose. Yeah, but also I mean, okay, so here in Europe, you're also in Europe, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I'm, here uh, the situation is different than in the US. So a couple of colleagues of mine who went for some experimental time, like exper- to do experiments in the US with some partner labs, um, they yeah. would return and shake their hands like that people there work like crazy. So the work culture there, especially in the in biology, in biomedical sciences, they are just really working too much. And if everyone in the lab is working too much, then you yeah, feel it's like, the it's pressure. Like peer pressure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, definitely. And not only peer pressure, that will be surely also some supervisor pressure at some point you know <laughs> that's actually very very because i had uh, one podcast before so um mm-hmm. the, the people that listened to the first po- first episode you can hear that and uh, there i had someone from pittsburgh us and mm-hmm. uh, she actually told me like there are like the a lot of a lot of the labs are super chill in the sense and they they have like working hours like they start at 10 in the morning and they finish at like five or something i mean which is for me like i was surprised it's like so chill you know? yeah i mean for me so my supervisor was um uh, very generous in the sense that he was um giving us a lot of freedoms um if he's listening <laughs> maybe <laughs> i was discussing with uh, with another uh uh ex colleague of mine recently that um maybe we would have all finished a bit earlier if he would be maybe less relaxed <laughs> <laughs> But really, uh, yeah. I mean, but I think it can be, it might be related to the fact that um, in, in, in Germany, it is common that as a PhD student, if you have a contract and, and not a stipend, then you have like a 50% part-time contract. Okay, yeah. Um, so it feels like, I mean, if you are a decent supervisor, then you probably feel like it's kind of not very... Uh, nice to pressure your students to work full-time if they are only paid part-time so my supervisor avoided this topic at all uh he would never actually check with the times when i'm coming when i'm leaving and uh when i'm working at all even sometimes when he would see that i was overworked and stressed or something he would say like maybe tomorrow we'll stay at home and you come back when you feel better you know so um yeah i mean ultimately Ultimately, it's your own own research, right? And I mean, if you're motivated for it, you know how much how many hours you need to put into it. Uh, so yeah, but the thing it's not is, really for a supervisor to say. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's nicer like that. But at the end, um, it took uh, it took us all a while to learn to you know uh, push yourself to work because it's so easy if no one is checking on you. And today is a sunny <laughs> day. Just you know make a yeah. trip to the lake instead of where well, you take some papers to read but you actually don't read them at the end you know this kind of stuff so yeah um but then you learn you learn to motivate yourself you learn to because you want to finish at some point <laughs> so at least from the second year you start to realize like okay i cannot go this relaxed around that so you start to work more and then this i found um this is actually great now for my work as a freelancer because this is the same situation there is no boss i mean there are customers and there are some deadlines but they are still 
not you know they are not very um, regular they are big deadlines that are far apart yeah. and um if i would not motivate myself i would not earn any money basically so yeah <laughs> well i mean that's an incentive right to 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 yeah. motivate yourself it is um, on but that yeah mm-hmm. On that note, um, you mentioned then like uh, the self-management and pushing yourself uh, mm-hmm. is one of the skills you learned during your PhD. Do you have mm-hmm. th- other things that are not necessarily bound to your research field that you feel like are, are things you learn in, in, in doing a PhD? Oh, yeah, plenty of them. So um, one thing is to work with information, to find the information you need, to evaluate, to assess whether this is reliable or not. You know, like if my when my grandma got sick and she had some weird stuff and the doctors could not help, then there I went on Google Scholar and searched some medical <laughs> papers, you know. Yeah, it's yeah. possible, right? Or if there is some whatever about, about the corona now, you can just go and search for that and... Um, so that's one thing. Um, another thing, so you learn to write, yeah, somehow. Everyone learns to write more or less uh, because you need to. You learn to be Some better than others. Yeah, yeah, sure. But um, it's still better than without all the writing yeah. you have done anyway. You learn to give presentations, you know, you learn to give talks. Uh, you learn to communicate. You learn to prioritize your work. So you learn to the self-management, right? That's an, that's an important one, I guess, for any kind of work. Yeah. Were you also involved in, in lobbying, getting uh, funds no. for your research or not? No, okay. no, not at all. No. So that's more that the university does then, I think? Um, I think in, it in depends Europe? also on the group. Um, my work was, um, my project was not so central to the research program of my supervisor. So I, I some of my colleagues were more involved in some grant writing. But uh, for my project, it was, um, yeah, no, I was okay. not. Mm, Fair enough. Like, as, as it happens, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, and then maybe on a more practical thing, um, during your PhD, do you have like one moment um, during the whole four years that you cherish the most, like cherish the most? Uh, do you think mm-hmm. it's like, what what's the, the, the greatest moment in the four years? <laughs> uh, I would say that the greatest moment of my, of my whole PhD was the defense, actually. Hmm. Um, I can tell you more about that if you want. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, go ahead, <laughs> please. Um, so, okay, background. I was I started too late to prepare my presentation. I was super stressed then, and, and my test talk two days before my defense went terribly wrong. I was crying after 10 sentences because I could not continue. No, I was super stressed, and uh, I finished my presentation like I was fiddling around on the introduction up to the day of my tall of my of my defense in the morning i finished it was like okay this could be and i was kind of exhausted i got there and then i saw all these people the the room was full it was like a well, not too big but it was still a lecture hall yeah. there maybe 150 people some professors <laughs> that kind of came there because they wanted to not because they had to and i was like okay and then i started to talk and i um kind of got into that um you know i was completely focused on when i was talking and i also realized i know what i'm talking about you know this is my stuff i know my stuff and then yeah. i saw these people how they were listening and how they were taking notes you know <laughs> not just my committee <laughs> and that felt great and then the the questions after that the, the discussion session that was super long it was like the maximum time that was allowed i think some hour or so and there were I got questions that was where it was very clear that the people asked because they wanted to know 
the answer and not they yeah. ask because they it's want not like to, tricky to question yeah, yeah yeah i mean some of them were tricky but they were interesting and i really yeah. felt so that was for the first time or maybe the strongest feeling that i had to feel like an expert that i know what i talk about and that the others take me seriously you know that they take me at the same <laughs> level that i'm now yeah. one of them and that that really kind of created a a different kind of self-confidence, kind of like self-confidence in my skills that, you know, I can do this big stuff. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And that kind of so, stayed with me. So that's maybe also something I would say that I took took home with me from the PhD. So, yeah, I think sort of kind of the realization that you're now like one of the scholars and that you, mm. you feel respected by them too and that they mm. respect you in a sense. And that kind of earned it, you know, it's not just that just yeah. was an accident or chance or whatever, but I earned it with my hard work and my hard work led to something. Um, yeah, that uh, was a very great feeling. Hmm. Well, I think that's a very good moment to 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 end the episode. I mean, we're going out on, on a very uh, good note, I, I think. Um, mm. uh, I think the conversation was very, uh, very interesting. Um it was really nice to have you on the show. And uh, uh, thank you so much for, for, uh, for being here. Thank you for the invitation. I hope you guys enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. I think uh, Martina had some really great ideas, uh, not just about PhDs, but more about uh, academia in general. Um, as you guys maybe have noticed, uh, I adjusted some things from the first episode. Uh, and... Uh, well, I mean, I'll keep improving my uh, my podcast. Uh, and if you guys have any suggestions or tips, um, feel free to reach out to me. Um, the, the social media accounts are written down in the description. And I hope to see you guys uh, soon in the next episode.